0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Charlie Beckham has worked for just about every mayor of the city of Detroit over the last four decades, and he's had almost every high-ranking job in Detroit city government. He has run public lighting, he's been head of the water department, he's run general services, he was in charge of recreation, and for the past five years, he's been building the Department of neighborhoods. He has served everyone since Coleman A. Young was elected in 1973 and has worked as six mayors have come and gone from City Hall. And so his life and his work reflect all of the narratives that have unfolded in this city over that time. He has seen the rise of the black political class in Detroit and the decline of that initial group of power brokers and interests that fueled that black political class. He's uh, been in legal trouble because of his work with the city. He's seen the financial turmoil that has been with the city for decades and just now may be subsiding. He's seen the political and racial tensions that have defined Detroit's relationship with its suburbs. And finally, as he retires from his long career with the city, he's witnessing a new era of rediscovery and reinvestment in Detroit. He is a very interesting guy, unique in Detroit in many ways. But for me, there is an added dimension to any discussion about or with Mr. Beckham. To me, he is Uncle Charles. He is my mother's younger brother and a person I've known literally my entire life. So much of what I know about Detroit. And so much of how I feel about this city was shaped by my Uncle Charles and his role here. And it was shaped by our family, whose commitment to this place dates back nearly three quarters of a century. I want to welcome Charlie Beckham, my Uncle Charles, to Detroit today.
1: Good morning, sir. How you doing?
0: It's good to see you. All right. Um, Let's start with the news. You say you are retiring finally. Now, I've... As I said, knowing you my entire life, you've said this before. Uh, you
1: <laughs> is this the real
0: thing? Are you really going to walk this, away? This is the real thing. And why now?
1: As you know, I I, I, uh, I retired in 2010 mm-hmm. uh, after a successful run with uh, Mayor Bing. And uh, at that time, I had uh, served uh, a lot of years for the city of Detroit. And so it made a lot of sense to retire at that time. I drew my pension mm-hmm. and Social Security and was out there for three years. Uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I was picking up uh, my granddaughter from school and we started the, the Michigan Black Chamber of Commerce then. I mean, it was great. Uh, and then 2013 came along and uh, my longtime friend, uh, Mike Duggan called and said, Charlie, uh, I'm getting ready to run for mayor. I think I need some of your help. <laughs> so I, he talked me out of retirement. Uh, I helped him, of course, as you know, when. The next thing I know, six years went by. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. And so uh, he and I sat down and, and figured out a good time to, to exit and transition. And so this time, uh, trust me, it, it's for real. It's yeah. for real.
0: Yeah. So what is it about now that says it's time to go?
1: Well, you know, it's time, it's age. I mean, think about this, uh, Stephen. I mean, it, it's been uh, over a span of five decades, mm-hmm. not four, but four, five it's decades. It's five, the 70s. right. 70s. Uh, it's been 45 years. Uh, I've run just about every city department there is to run. Uh, I've done it with six mayors, Um, and as you know, last summer I had a little health challenge, Mm -hmm. had a minor stroke, Uh, and so there were a lot of things that said, you know, it's really time to go. It's time to really let some of the younger folk and the next generation uh, of Detroiters like yourself and many others to really start to take the reins of this city and move it to the next step, which I think that can happen. I mean, As you know, we've got a really good group of sharp young folk in this town. Sure, sure. Uh, capable of carrying it to to where it needs to go, and so it was time for me to get out of the way yeah. and uh, sit back and watch.
0: So you are doing a one-man show this uh-huh. Saturday about your life and experiences at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American his- History. Uh, tell us about that show. Why did you want to do it, and what are people going to hear yeah, from you during this man, show? man, you know, it's a,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's really a, a, a different twist. Uh, a, as you know, uh, and you've known me for a long time, I like to do things different. don't like to do what everybody else does. <laughs> Uh, and because I've had this long run in Detroit um, and, and an unusual twist and turns uh, for 30 years, at least, people have been saying, you know, Charlie, you ought to write a book about this. Everybody <laughs> says you ought to write a book. Well, everybody writes books and, you know, they have the book signing and everybody shows up. And I just didn't want to do the same thing, but I still wanted to to, to tell my story if I could. Uh, and so after I had, um, I was recovering from the stroke last summer. I was sitting around somehow— caught on YouTube, Mike Tyson doing his autobiography Mm -hmm. on Broadway uh, about five or six years ago. And uh, he did an unbelievably good job. (laughs) And uh, so I said, well, if Tyson can do it, then I should be (laughs) able to do that. And that's a unique way of telling your life story. And so uh, I liked it. We put a team together, and uh, you've become as you know a part of that team. I am a part of the team, people and, who show uh, up for right, get to see me too. That's right. We're we're gonna tell the story uh, all the way from the beginning, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, all the way up to now. So, yeah. uh, I guarantee you it'll be uh, interesting. Uh, you'll run the full gamut of emotions uh, to happiness, to <laughs> sadness, to being pissed off, uh, the whole ball of wax. So it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to it. It is a different approach. Telling him one life story, and uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Coleman Young is the person who brought you to city government, yes. and he does that after being elected in 1973, which is the culmination, really, of a dramatic shift in political power here in the city of Detroit. He's the first black man elected to be mayor, uh, but around that event there is also this rising black political class uh, in the city and and you're part of it. Uh, talk about the rise of that black political power both uh, from the perspective of uh, the politics of it and how it all sort of happened, but also from the personal. Uh, you, our family moved here in the late 1950s and was sort of at the center of a lot of that movement toward,
1: the building of that black political class. Yeah, no question. And it was a, 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 a slow process, Stephen. As you know, you're right. We came in the late 50s, and at that time, uh, Detroit was probably still 30 35% African-American, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as time went on, you're right, uh, as in any city, you know, you get uh, exodus to the suburbs. Uh, the cities become more and more ethnic and more and more uh, minority, and we were doing that in Detroit. Uh, and I guess the, 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 the tipping point was the 67 rebellion. Sure. Everybody likes to blame Coleman Young for running uh, white folk out to the suburbs, but you know it really started after that riot, uh, which was long before he was the mayor. Uh, And so, as Coleman started to get uh, and build a political base, running for state senator, uh, the city was rapidly moving towards closer towards 50% African American. So by the time he ran in '73, it was about 50-50. So the political base was shifting. Uh, you know, folks like Richard Austin and some of the others were some of the early African American politicians that were beginning to come into play. Bill Patrick at city council. Um, and, and eventually, of course, uh, we built a power base. The Shrine of the Black Madonna was mm-hmm. one of the strongest groups there. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, it was always the UAW, it was mm-hmm. union. The union. You couldn't win any race in Detroit without having union support. Uh, The Shrine of the Black Madonna, which was uh, an offshoot from uh, what uh, Reverend Albert Clegg put together over there on the west side on Linwood, Mm -hmm. started to build a power base, and Coleman rode that power base into office literally in 73 and on the back of Abolishing Stress, which was the whole uh, undercover uh, uh, concept that the Detroit Police Department had come up with. And so you got this 50-50 population in Detroit, and all of a sudden it gets stronger and stronger. Uh, you're right, our family started to get to play. Coleman and, and, as you know, your grandfather mm-hmm. and my dad mm-hmm. uh, were uh, toiling in the venues of the UAW together and became close friends. Uh, and then uh, my brother and your uncle, other uncle uh, got involved in his campaign uh, in 73, and uh, and they won. Mm-hmm. They beat uh, John Nichols, who was the police commissioner at the time. Uh, and it was those two guys, Coleman Young and, and Bill Beckup Jr., that really got me into... Uh, the public sector, because as you know, I was on my path towards being uh, a, a, an engineer at General mm-hmm. Motors back then. So it was an interesting path. <laughs> uh, you know, you kind of sit back and watch it uh, you know, uh, unfold, not knowing where it's going to go. Sure. And I had no idea that uh, I would spend the next five decades. Uh, serving the public right. uh, and and being in these roles at the city of Detroit, so you never know where life's going to take. Yeah, you, uh,
0: you, you mentioned uh, your father, my grandfather, William Beckham Sr. Uh, pretty larger than life guy, as I remember, both <laughs> but, <laughs> physically, but also <laughs> yes. just uh, uh, in his presence. Uh, he was uh, chief aide to Walter Reuther. Uh, famous for the labor movement's involvement in the civil rights uh, movement uh, during the 1960s, uh, Walter Ruther brings my grandfather, your father, here to Detroit to help uh, to help him run the union, and he becomes involved in in politics. But uh, talk about his influence on you and <laughs> how that how that inspired the things that you came to do in city government. That. Um, you know uh, this doesn't come out of nowhere this That's is right. <laughs> all rooted in a, a pretty uh, charismatic uh,
1: dominant uh, figure no question you know he he was uh he was very subtle with it uh you're right he wasn't a subtle man but the things <laughs> that he did uh, were very subtle mm-hmm. uh, and even before your time when we were in Cincinnati I mean he uh, was on the road a lot because he was a union guy Uh working in the union shops uh, down in GM Norwood in Cincinnati. But he created this concept, and, and, and he he was on the road during the week, so on the weekends was the time he spent with family. And the dinner table was the center focus, uh, and he ran that like it was a boardroom. Uh, he called them the round tables, and we discovered very quickly the table wasn't round, it was really a rectangle, and he sat at the head <laughs> he of it. He was in charge of it, and right? He was in charge of it, but that was where he... Uh, waxed eloquent. That was where he taught us how to talk, how to speak, uh, how to function in a white world, uh, good, bad, different, all of the stuff uh, that we learned. I mean, we formed our basis there. And so we carried that when we came to Detroit after Walter Ruther convinced him to come to Detroit and be his administrative assistant, that round table went with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was always where we got our lessons. And so my brother, your mother, uh, our (laughs) other sister, uh, myself, we got indoctrinated to to the Bill Beckham senior way of how things were. And he was a man before his time. As you know, he was... uh um, only a high school education, but well-read, read, read mm-hmm. everything. Matter of fact, uh, on Sundays, we all had to sit down and read something, <laughs> right. as he said. That's right. Read something. Or <laughs> sometimes
0: read. I remember he would say, just sit there and
1: think. That's exactly right.
0: right. Just sit
1: there and think. <laughs> so so there was no playing on Sundays, and so you read. And so I can remember many Sundays just pulling out the encyclopedia and just opening it up and reading the encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, after a while, that pays off later on in life. And so That was where he started that and established that in us. uh, And each of us then took that and carried it from there to do the things that we did. But it was always rooted uh, in that base that Bill Beckham Sr. put in place uh, around those round tables. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Charlie Beckham. We are going to talk about the mayors he served here in the city of Detroit, the legal trouble he faced in the 1980s, and what he sees for Detroit in the future. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Oh, 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 oh oh, 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 oh You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Charlie Beckham, longtime city administrator here in the city of Detroit, has worked with six mayors and is now retiring after five decades in public service. Uh, He also happens to be my mother's younger brother, which makes him my uncle. We are talking about his retirement. We're talking about the mayors he served. We're going to talk about what he sees for the future uh, here in the city of Detroit, he is having a one-man show this Saturday at the Charles H. Wright Museum to tell his life story and about his experiences. Um, I, I want to talk about the mayors you served, and let's start with uh, with with Coleman Young, who uh, also a larger-than-life figure here in the city of Detroit. Um, uh, talk about. Uh, why you went to work for Coleman Young and what that relationship ended up being. You were one of the closest people uh, to him when you worked for him. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, later, uh, even, after, uh, even after he left office.
1: No question. Uh, he was a family friend, uh, a- a- as we talked earlier, Stephen. And, and, and of course, uh, when he won in 73, took office in 74, Uh, His first chief of staff and deputy mayor was
0: uh, your your brother, my my brother, Bill Beckham, (laughs) Jr. Yes.
1: Uh, 33 years old at the time, uh, a great opportunity for him. Uh, I was 25 or 26. And as I say, starting my career uh, at General Motors, as they began to tackle a lot of the problems uh, that they saw with the city in various departments, they saw that they really needed uh, A because Coleman was trying to to fill as many positions as he could with African Americans. We wanted an African American, somebody with some technical background. So we got a lot of departments that required that. And of course, it's a political position, so we want somebody that can be be uh, uh, loyal to the administration. And so my brother said, "Aha, Mister Mayor, I got just the guy." My younger brother, uh, and so they asked me to 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 serve in, in a role. And so my first appointment. Uh, to the city was to the Public Lighting Commission, way back in 1974. And I uh, eventually, uh, after about six months, became vice president of that commission. And so that was my first taste of the public sector uh, in Detroit, uh, brought in by my brother and, and, and Coleman Alexander Young. Moved from there to all kinds of positions, uh, as a lot of what you listed earlier. Um, but that started my public service career there. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, that became my lifelong career even though I was at General Motors and my goal was to be the first African-American chief engineer at General Motors. I didn't make it, nor has anybody else since then, which mm-hmm. is an interesting statement. But um, you never know where life's going to take you.
0: Uh, you. You were convicted of bribery and racketeering in the late 1980s as part of the Coleman Young administration. Uh, talk about that. Uh, talk about what led up to that conviction and that particularly fraught time within
1: the city. Yeah, you know, Stephen, uh, he, Coleman Alexander Young w- was an interesting character. And, and, you know, when he when he died in 1997, you know, they, they revealed the fact that, you know, he, he had a 40-year file at the FBI. I mean, the, the federal government uh, started disliking Coleman Young way back in the 40s. Uh, House Un-American Activities Committee, his testimony in front of that committee was legendary. Um, the whole communist piece. Uh, so they were always after him. Uh, and so we found ourselves in the mid 70s trying to come into compliance with the EPA Clean Water Act. And um, the the city and the Department of Water and Sewer were going to have to spend a lot of money uh, very quickly. Uh, and so that drew the attention of, of the feds again. They mm-hmm. figured, aha, you know, we, my goodness, they got to spend all this money. We got a guy we've been looking for. Let's see what we can find out. And so they started wiretapping. They tapped his living room over in Hyde Park, uh, they went after him. I was in the middle of that, uh, trying to do a job, trying to bring the, the Department of Incompliance. Uh, and then all along, they're really trying to take down Coleman Alexander Young. And this is not me saying this, but from, if you remember, both federal court trials, because we had two of them, mm-hmm. they said and put on the record, this case is about Coleman Alexander Young. So they weren't uh, shying away from it. They They weren't ashamed of it. They were coming at him full bore, and I was in the middle. Uh, and the end result of that is that after two trials, I was found guilty and uh, served time in federal prison for it. But uh, I'm back, came back to mm-hmm. Detroit and continued to serve Detroiters. And it's been my pleasure. Uh, but it's been a crazy ride, which is why we're going to tell the story <laughs> on Saturday, because it is one that is very interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, legacy is something that I know matters to you. It mattered to your father, my my grandfather. Uh, it mattered to your brother. Uh, my uncle, who was the deputy mayor for for Coleman Young, uh, talk about how uh, even with your long career and all of your success, this this other part of your experiences sort of fits into that, and and put it in the context of family, our family, and the things that uh, are are. Uh, my grandfather, your father, expected of us and taught us about how
1: you respond to adversity. Yeah, there's, there's no question about it. I mean, you know, those roundtable discussions, um, you know, he used to always tell us, I mean, there's no such word as can't. And and he was serious about that. Um, and, and so you couldn't come to the table talking about, well, I can't do this, I can't do that. I mean, he just never accepted that. And so he instilled that in us. And so that certainly... Uh, transitions itself into the stuff that we did. And so my brother, who, who was my older brother, you know, he was seven years old and I was. I mean, I was always constantly trying to fill his shoes and he was constantly trying to fill dad's shoes. But that was what drove us to do the things that we did. And so, you know, when you look back at, at, at Bill's, uh, uh, my brother, your uncle's uh, history, I mean, this guy not only was uh, chief of staff and deputy mayor, but I mean, he was vice president in corporate world. Uh, he ran New Detroit here. He was uh, the president of Skillman. He, he certainly, uh, unfortunately, had his untimely passing, but was an unbelievably accomplished African-American man uh, in Detroit. And so I was always trying to to fill in those shoes. And so that drove me to do the things that I did. And so I've held a number of jobs, but it all started at those roundtable discussions. And so uh, that was what was so crazy about the 80s when we had to take that hit publicly. Um, uh, from from the federal standpoint of, of, of the reputation of the Beckham name. Uh, I think we've recovered from that, um, but it took a lot of hard work and persistence. Uh, I never let that define me. Uh, I never let anybody else define me about that. Uh, I am a convicted felon, but I never shied away from that. Everybody... Knows the story of how that came about, and anybody that wants to hear more details, they can come on Saturday. Uh, but I've never shied away from that, I've never hid from it. And I think that was part of what uh, created a lot of respect for us and mm-hmm. our family in Detroit mm-hmm. is that I didn't do that. Uh, you know, there were many times, as you know, your grandmother and my mother said, You know, you ought to leave Detroit. I can't believe what this city has done to you. Why are you still here doing this? And, and I would remind her of what her husband used to tell us, and he never would have run from any of this. Uh, matter of fact, when we were in the middle of a lot of this, if you remember, and he had had his health challenges and lost his leg, mm-hmm. and he was down in Florida, but he was so pissed off, he was coming back to Detroit to kick some behind and take names, because he didn't like what was happening to the Beckham family. I mean, that's just the way we are. Uh, not bragging, just fact. Um, and so uh, I, it's been a pleasure being a part of this family. Yeah. Uh, I am now the a patriarch of the family. And I always <laughs> say I'm the reluctant patriarch because I got there because our my dad and my older brother left out of here prematurely, so it left me as the patriarch. Uh, but I'm proud of what we've done and uh, got no regrets. Yeah. Uh,
0: this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Charlie Beckham, longtime city administrator here in the city of Detroit, worked with six mayors and is now retiring after five decades in public service. Uh, we're talking about the city. We're talking about his time here in the city, the legacy that he leaves, uh, and what the future might look like for us here in Detroit. Um, uh, let's talk about the city today. As I said, you serve six mayors right. uh, uh you, you work now for Mike Duggan. It's really interesting that y- you started work for the first black mayor here in the city of Detroit, and you're ending with the first white mayor since that <laughs> black mayor right. uh, was was elected. Um, talk about what you see in terms of where the city is now, both in terms of that black political class, uh, a lot of people very uneasy about a white mayor being at the head of things in, in a black city, uh, but also where we are just as... Detroiters and as Detroit. Yeah. Uh, good point,
1: Steve. You know, I, and I think we're, we're, we're in a good spot. I mean, I don't think anybody can deny the fact that the resurgence of Detroit right now is real. Um, we're headed in, in a very positive direction. Everybody wants to come to Detroit now. We've got corporations wanting to put their headquarters here, we're bringing in jobs. We've got training programs. Uh, and yes, it's a white mayor, but you know you got to keep in mind it's African Americans that voted for that white mayor. They did so so, so in large a, large numbers. Yeah, it's not a it's not an influx of uh, uh, a lot of white folks coming into town and voting for a white mayor. They voted, African Americans voted for a white mayor. You know, Detroiters, um, the voters in Detroit take some hits sometime, but they've always had the ability to understand their own self interest, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, even in the 2013 election, and you know it was Mike Duggan against Benny Napoleon. But, you know, we won that uh, with a white candidate as a write-in candidate (laughs) um, in an African-American town. Uh, And so you could look at that and say, well, man, what's wrong with the the, the voters? But you can also look at it and say, man, the voters were voting in their own best interest. They understood what it was going to take coming out of bankruptcy uh, to really make Detroit what it is. And so we've done that. Uh, Mike Duggan, um, with all of his faults and his assets, uh, everybody knew him. We knew what he was, but we knew one thing. First of all, he loved Detroiters, and that was clear. And uh, he knows how to get stuff done, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we needed in Detroit. He was the right mayor for the right time, and so we're really moving in the right direction. I mean, Chemical Bank's coming down here. You know, Mike Illich, uh, Everybody. Uh, th- th- there's there's involvement. He's taking heat just as Coleman Young did 40 years ago. Uh, you're spending too much time downtown, not enough time in the neighborhood. That's always been the cry. It's just not supported in the facts. Uh, we've got 10 targeted neighborhoods that we're spending $130, $140, $150 million in over the next three or four years. There's African American developers doing the work in those places. Uh, we're getting African American businesses involved in the process. This is the best time I've seen Stephen happening in Detroit economically and spiritually uh, in a long, long time. And and it was a long overdue for Detroit. Um, and it just happens that we have a white, white person that's in the mayor's office, but this town's going somewhere.
0: Uh, What's the future of black leadership in Detroit look like to you?
1: Well, you know, I, I don't think it's ever going to go away. I mean, it's still a a city that's 80, 85% African American. You still got uh, a number of, uh, African Americans that are in some very influential, influential positions we talked about it earlier. Uh, there's a, a group of young folks that are coming up that's in between the millennials and folks <laughs> your age uh, that well, I think we'll start to see rise. You know, you take a guy like Garland Gilchrist. Uh, I watched him grow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he I was, was going to say, he was a neighbor of mine yeah, when he, I was a kid. Yeah, he was a, a good personal friend of Saul's uh, son, Tarek, uh, my best friend. Watched him grow. Yeah, I watched him grow, Green, yeah, yeah, watched them grow up. Uh, and together and so you know we've got a good core of good sharp young folks you look at you know uh, Bullock and some of the people that won some of the state legislative Mm -hmm. positions Mm -hmm. I mean uh, Leslie Love I mean you've got some really good sharp people coming up so I'm not worried about um, us not having a good black political leadership and core of people they're there they've learned from us Uh, they're they're ready to take the baton on and move forward
0: yeah uh, last question uh, you worked for Kwame Kilpatrick uh, tell us about the party
1: <laughs> <laughs> you were there right <laughs> uh, I don't want to give away some secrets that I'm going to be talking about on Saturday uh, I am going to talk about each of the six mayors yeah. um, and and I won't spend a lot of time on it but 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 it, it's I recognize it's the reason that a lot of people are going to be coming to the play and so I'm going to spend some time on that we are going to talk about uh, Kwame Kilpatrick <laughs> Uh, And a couple of things that he was known for was the Manoogian Potier, the Red Navigator, and some other things. Just as each of those six mayors has their unique. Uh, qualities and things that uh, I experienced when I worked with them, and so we're going to be talking about that. Yeah. I don't want to reveal everything tonight. <laughs> right. no? yeah. Even though we're sold out for Saturday, you couldn't come if you wanted to. So. Right, there's no more tickets,
0: but uh, you know, one of the things that that I think is, is interesting about the time that you've spent in city government is the similarity across mayors, uh, that they all sort of face the same things in different ways, Yes, and you have a
1: phrase that you use about uh, each of them. Yeah, and, and, and basically it's that, you know, each of them were the right mayor for the right time. Uh, and, and that's why I say that's you, you got to take that back to Detroit voters. I mean, they, they, they always kind of understood um, their own best interests, even though they may not even have known it at the time. Uh, but we elected some good mayors, uh, and we put the right mayors in when we needed to. And so whether it was Coleman Young or Dennis Archer— uh, or Ken Cockrell Jr., who really just had to hold the fort for a while, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Bing, my good friend, uh, Mike Duggan, uh, but each of them were the right mayors for the right time. And if you put them in a different time span, they probably wouldn't be as successful. I mean, a Mike Duggan couldn't be successful back in 1973 mm-hmm. or 74. Mm-hmm. wouldn't have fit. a Coleman Young, with his brashness, wouldn't fit in right now mm-hmm. uh, in in Detroit in 2018 Dave Bing was the right guy at the right time people criticized him but you know he came in at a time when we had to calm the office down and bring right. some integrity and, and 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 some steadiness back to the office and he did that yeah. uh, and uh, didn't have to do it didn't want to do it and did it for no pay yeah, which right. people forget for no and so everybody stepped up and served at the right time yeah. Okay, Charlie Beckham,
0: uh, great to have you here on Detroit Today. We'll see you on Saturday. I'll tell your mother you did a good job. Right. (laughs) Uh, That's going to do it for me this week. I'll be back on Monday. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, and community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.